The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Guys, before we get into today's episode, I am so excited because it is merch launch day. I love nothing more than creating products that are comfortable and cute and amazing for all of us to wear and match and just be a part of like the Freckled Foodie family together in. So I'm super pumped about this new limited drop. It is two pieces. So we're doing a smaller capsule than usual. We're going to test some new things out. We have a sweatshirt and a graphic tee. It's the same design, different colors. And actually one of the FFM members was the suggester of the slogan because I asked my subscribers, like, what are things that I say all the time that we should turn into merch? And this one is celebrate your wins because it is so motherfucking important to celebrate your wins, whether they are big or small. Every time you accomplish something, that is a win and it is something to celebrate rather than just looking for the next thing and immediately raising the goalpost and not taking a second to relish in the celebration of what you just accomplished. It's something I'm always trying to remind myself of. So we made merch out of it. There is a like light blue sweatshirt that is truly my favorite thing in the world. Whenever I've worn it on my stories, I get so many messages saying how incredible the color looks. And it is truly the cutest thing that I've ever put on my body. And it's super comfortable. It's perfect for the like late chilly summer nights. And as we enter into fall, so the sweatshirt is a light blue. The t-shirt is white and it says celebrate your wins on the front. And then I love stuff that has like text on the back for the person behind you kind of. So it says, thank you, thank you, thank you for being you. And there's a little FFM that on the hoodie is hidden under the actual like hood. And then on the t-shirt is just at the top. The designs I want to shout out, Hannah, thank you so much. She has designed actually all of the merch we have done. So shout out Hannah, but I love them so much. And I'm so excited to offer them to the listeners. And thank you for just being you because there is no one like the FF family. You guys can shop the link in the show notes. They will be live at 10 a.m. PST and 1 p.m. EST. I just literally had to do that math in my head, right? 10, 11, 11, 12, 1. Yes, 1 p.m. EST. Shop the link in the show notes or over all my social channels. I'll be promoting it. Limited time and 10% of the proceeds will be donated to the Jed Foundation. I love you all so much. Thank you for continuing to be amazing and be there for me and support one another. And I can't wait to look at all of the selfies of all of us in our matching merch. I love you. Hello, FF fam. I am so excited to share today's episode with you all because not only are we joined by an inspiring guest with an incredible story, but we are also about to learn a lot. Today, we are chatting with Keon co-founder Angelo Keeley. I am so excited to talk to Angelo about today's topic, the importance of muscle, protein, and amino acids for just about everything in your body. Not only is he super knowledgeable about the science, but he's going to make it really easy to understand. As I said, I need like the most dumbed down version right now with the functionality of my pregnant brain. Angelo is the co-founder and CEO of Keon, an active lifestyle supplement and functional food company dedicated to helping people fully 
experience a fun and active life by providing pure energy-enhancing solutions. We cover a lot of topics in this episode, from his upbringing to surviving two traumatic and near-death experiences, to how and why he founded Keon, to what it is like being a working dad, and how he balances prioritizing his family and being an entrepreneur. I am so excited to share this episode with you all and let you know that code Cameron now gets you 20% off on monthly deliveries and 10% off one-time purchases of Keon at getkeon.com slash Cameron. Without further ado, here is Angelo. I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you for coming to New York. I feel honored when people travel to come on the show. So thank you very much. I want to kick off things, not intensely, but like when I listened to you preparing for this interview on other episodes, there were some key things when I listened, I was like, holy shit. And I was blown away. And for me, I felt I resonated deeply because they were these kind of pivotal moments in your life from what I heard you tell that shifted your mentality around certain things, the way you then went about your life, what you then went on to focus on. And I have had a moment that was not as intense, but a pretty traumatic moment in my life that definitely shifted everything for me and is why I'm doing this today. So if you're comfortable, I want to get right into it. Like for the listeners who have not heard your story and do not know you, can you explain, we can start with the first one. Mm -hmm the traumatic event that happened to you when you were younger that has, in a way, changed your entire life. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I'd say it changed my entire life. And happy to get into it. And thank you for having me. I, I haven't been to New York in a few years. It's, it's good to be back. It's fun. Um, I, I, almost, I almost am in this moment, I try to respond to these questions as they come up, like what's fresh for me in mm -hmm. this moment about it and not what's the story I've necessarily told someone else about or even told myself about it. And when you were just, I was listening to you propose the question, I was like, huh, you know what I actually see is almost like my life in a series of stages. I do too. I do before and after one moment. Yeah. And I think there's like, I don't know if they're like seven year phases or 10 year phases, but I feel like there's definitely ways in which these kind of patterns emerged and, and fortunately or unfortunately, like they do sometimes correspond with like traumatic stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think as I've engaged in a lot more intensive therapy over the last few years, and I really tried to look into like, what is this thing that happened when I was 16? And like, why did that happen? And how did it impact me? And like, how has it made me who I am? And how do I resolve that stuff? What I started to realize was like, oh, it's actually stuff from like when I was a baby and when I was a kid. And I think it probably really started as a child. I had two very intense parents, I think very loving parents, and also just like very intense, entrepreneurial, manic, kind of crazy people. Awesome mm -hmm. people, <laughs> not normal. <laughs> and uh, I think in that environment, even at like the earliest stages, probably with my mom, who's like a super high energy person, whatever attachment I developed with her, because she wasn't like the super calming presence, she was mm -hmm. a super intense presence. I think I probably learned early on, like, whoa, you got to figure out how to like, just figure shit out on your own, Angelo. Like this is, and I didn't know that intellectually, but of like, course. you just got to like figure it out. And, um, and it was, it was a cool childhood. 
it was very natural. It was very organic. It was very hippie. Didn't you not go to a doctor for like your entire childhood? Yeah, I didn't even go to a doctor till I was like seven. I was born at home. I didn't have a birth. I got a birth certificate when I went to enroll in elementary school in first grade. Yeah. But it's not just like the values around food and health and stuff. It was like my parents were like just these intense entrepreneurial people. And I think then when I went to school, so like maybe seven years later, like I'm kind of elementary school, eight or nine, I started to realize like, whoa, I'm like in this very normal environment. And I'm like, it doesn't fit me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm a smart kid. I can figure stuff out. And so I started developing these kinds of like conning behaviors like ways to almost like play jokes on the system. I tell my kids, Okay. I've told my kids about it recently. It's interesting. Like in third grade, they had this reading competition about how many books you could read. And so I found the rules where like you could basically, it's like the book has to be at least 30 pages. It has to have this many words on a page. And so I read like the same book, like, 300 times to like win the competition. <laughs> so you were conning the system. I was conning the system, but but clearly it's not because like I cared about winning. It was like mm-hmm. some point I was trying to make. Okay. And so I think I just had this like spunky spirit in me to kind of like, if I'm going to be in this system and with these adults, like, do they even really care about me? Are they really trying to help me learn? Are all these rules like fabricated? And so clearly I, there's already the spirit in me that's like, I'm going to challenge the system. I'm going to test things. I have to learn things on my own, et cetera. And I think then the way that that then all played out when I was 16, which is like the heart of your question, which is maybe like Mm -hmm. another seven, eight years later was I started, I was in high school. I started to get into experimenting with drugs. I I think I became very oriented towards my friends. I was not very interested. I'm less interested in school, less interested in sports than I had been before. I was just like friends and took way too much LSD. And I had, I think what clinically they would say is a psychotic break, maybe mm-hmm. like in the plant medicine world, they'd say ego <laughs> death or whatever, like, yes. you know, and uh, I really, I lost my mind and I was very scared and I was in the wrong neighborhood and I was looking for help and I provoked these people. And were you by yourself at this point? I was point? with a friend who was a few years older than okay. me. And I provoked these folks who I wasn't trying to, I was not like mm-hmm. a, a, a aggressive person who were hardcore and they didn't like the way I was acting. And so they stabbed me twice in the back and they stabbed me in the knee and they beat me almost to death. So I woke up in the hospital Jesus. several days later, uh, full abdominal surgery, I have a huge scar down my abdomen, Holy shit. Uh, two big knife wounds in my back. My patella tendon was severed. It had to be reattached. And, you know, I'm 16 and a half. Which is so young it's very to young. experience something yeah. like this. Yeah, I mean, it's very young to experience a traumatic physical totally. injury, to experience a bad acid trip. To be to playing without LSD. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. it's like, it's just a lot. It's a, it's a big dose of like mortality, of the darkness in life, mm-hmm. of uh, how fragile we are for like a pretty young kid. And I think, I do, I think, I think a lot in terms of dosage, you know, it's like, that's just a big dosage of like experience and time. And in that moment, I think that's one of those times where it can just like break you mm-hmm. when those things happen. I think luckily for whatever reasons, because of my path before, maybe the way that I had learned to cope with things in the past and some of the resources I did have to do therapy and to start exploring things like acupuncture and, and nutrition, just like trying to heal myself and getting into meditation, it became really like the beginning of my I think sincere personal development, trying to live a good, fulfilling adult life path. And lots of people, they don't get that till they're 25 or 30 or 45. Even older sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it could be midlife crisis. And it was like, boom, like 
you are fragile, man. Like all the choices you make will affect your future, whether you make them or you don't make mm -hmm. them, whether you're passive or really active, like think about, slow down and think about what you want in life and, and create the life you want. Did you feel disconnected from other people your age after this because you had this new knowledge and awakening and I think an experience that most people aren't going through at that age. I just feel had I been that young mm -hmm. and experienced and survived something so traumatic and realized how short life can be and sets you on this different path, it would be maybe potentially hard to relate to other teenagers who are just going through typical teenage mm -hmm. life where you're like, I just got stabbed and almost killed and now I see things differently. Did you feel like it was hard to disconnect? Like, did you feel like it was hard to connect to people your age after that? I think like most things in life and times in life, it's mixed. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have that experience and was suddenly right. 50 years old, mature and wise. Like I got dosed with this really big experience and I was still a kid. Mm -hmm. So I think I still had lots of 16 year old boy, like stupid impulses around drugs and girls mm -hmm. and friends and attention and validation. And like, I was an adolescent. And so I think, um, yeah, I don't all want to like propose that I was somehow, No, I'm not. like enlightened now <laughs> and all these little <laughs> other juniors in high school, right. you know, don't get it. Um, so like, I, I mean, I could find, I still sought the connection with them and mm -hmm. I had friends and I had, you know, a girlfriend at that, mm -hmm. that age and hung out with kids and I was different like something changed dramatically in me where like I had seen a part of life and understood a part of life that others didn't. And I started then to associate with kids my age that had experiences like that, I noticed. That like, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think other friends who, and even though there's kids like from my local high school and college area who had, I had a friend who was in a really bad car accident mm -hmm. and he became a really good friend of mine after that. Right. I think like, you know, people who, because they get it. Yeah, we kind of became seekers. Like suddenly we mm -hmm. were like we were sincerely interested in like meditation and we were sincerely interested in health in a way that we didn't necessarily like lose all the adolescent interests, but we had these new more kind of older interests yeah. that had developed and if I wanted to be able to do that with people my age, it was a much more limited set of definitely 18-year-old boys who were into that. There was like two of them, you it's know. It's so interesting how traumatic events can put you on this path of different interests in that specific realm of expanding your mind and learning more about things that you didn't care about, especially in that wellness space. Like I know I personally felt that way after my car accident. And then you go on, were you in, am I correct in saying you were in shaman training when the second traumatic event happened? Or shaman what, training? What was it? I like that. I no, like, I like, what, <laughs> I like that idea. The, um, why were you there? Why well, was I You're in now, India. Yes. Yeah. So this kind of, again, now it's another cycle. I don't know. This is five years yeah. later. Over these next five years from 16 to 21, I become, I'm like, I, back to your last question about like, am I, mm -hmm. you know, having a hard time connecting with kids? I definitely become super interested in meditation and philosophy and health. And like, I'm trying to like, I'm on a hardcore like wellness path. Yeah. And that leads me to interest in yoga and breath work and India. And so I'd been studying a bunch of like Indian religious stuff. And I'd actually been living with like Catholic brothers at my right. Catholic university in the US. So I was like immersed in a lot of different worlds, <laughs> but I went and I did a month long 
volunteership at an orphanage okay, in the South. I don't know why I thought. Well, then I'd spent a month doing like intensive yoga study at an ashram. Okay, maybe so that's it was why. probably just like, I was at this okay. ashram for like a month in Rishikesh, which is awesome. It's like on the, it's like literally my ashram and the Ganges. They're like wow. on each other. And uh, yeah, when I was there, I was kind of, I was in this very deep kind of advanced yoga training and I went on a trip. I was trying to go on a short trip up into the foothills of the Himalayas to visit a friend I had met. And anyone who's, if you haven't been to India- I have not. Well, the traffic there, intuitive would be a, a generous way to describe <laughs> it. Like, because it's just, everyone's going really fast. You're constantly pulling into oncoming traffic. You just have to like read what's going on. There aren't clear rules that everyone abides by. Honestly, my bus wasn't that driving that dangerously up in, in, in these high mountain roads, but my bus and another bus collided around a corner of a cliff and the other bus went off the cliff and fell hundreds of meters. And there's no like, you know, significant rescue ambulances or things like that that are gonna get there anytime within the next few hours. And so myself and a couple of the other young bodied young guys, I was 21 when that happened, basically just spent the whole day climbing down this cliff and trying to bring people back up. It was definitely a very different experience where I clearly had brought this into my life. I mean, I chose to go to India and mm -hmm. I chose to go out ride a bus, but like, it wasn't like I was a stupid kid that took too much LSD, right. you know? <laughs> and in this, I'm suddenly confronted with like, not my near, not only my near death, but now like 26 people died, like right in front of me and, and trying to save people that are injured and hurt and fragile. You're almost kind of on the other side. Yeah, it's, it's of like- Of what a, you experienced in a way. Yeah, it's like a different perspective. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I never thought about it quite that way. But I think about when I got injured, when I was stabbed, I remember this like, I remember this Hispanic man, like in a cowboy hat who was looking down at me like, are you all right, man, who had found me or whatever. And it was like, I was kind of more in that spot exactly. of that guy. And I'm sure I didn't even thought like, wow, how I got, I just got goosebumps. But well, cause you're how, now that person in yeah, someone made, else's memory. Yeah. I didn't thought like, wow, how it was prob probably traumatic for him, mm -hmm. him walking upon this kid. But yeah, for me, it was very scary and impactful. And yet I was filled more with like adrenaline and wanted to just help and like do what was necessary, et cetera. And it's interesting in this one too. I mean, so I spend the whole day doing that and I eventually I like, I'm not going on my trip anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I check back to the ashram and, and I go back and I lie down in my bed at the ashram and I just start like shaking. And I learned many years later, I, I worked in behavioral mental health for care for, for a few years. And I learned many years later that that's actually the natural animal response to trauma mm -hmm. is to shake it out. And uh, it seemed weird in the moment. It didn't seem like a, I thought I was like making it up. I was like, why am I doing this? And, but it, it, I think it was truly some reflection of my own psychosomatic evolution totally. to understand what's right for me, to trust my body and my mind and, and kind of feel what I feel. And yeah. The shaking thing is interesting because even if you think about dogs, this is not at all the same, but dogs it, it is, though. do that shake off mm -hmm. after, my dog does it all the time because he gets very leash reactive. After he has experienced some encounter, he has to shake it off to release that. And even in labor, I'm sure also part of this is hormonal, but your body's going through such trauma that in that final stage of labor, before you actually push the baby out, your body some of us experience this, I did, is in a full shake where you are, you cannot explain it. You're not cold, but your body is shaking. Your teeth are chattering and it's terrifying. But I think it's your body's response to all of these traumatic things that it's trying to process. And 
I'm curious selfishly because I have had some traumatic things happen in my childhood where there were people who died and I was in the seat of people who did not die. And it's confusing, at least for me, especially as a young kid to work through because it was a traumatic event to experience that young and be that close to something like that. And simultaneously as the person or family who survived this event, I wanted to make sure that I was also feeling this gratitude and appreciation. And well, thankfully I I did survive. So mm. am I entitled mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. trauma? Does that make any sense? Did you mm-hmm. navigate those feelings? Cause it's something, mm. honestly, I still work through in therapy mm-hmm. where sometimes- the guilt or, or just the conflict it's between- Maybe guilt or it's like, am I entitled to this? Because- uh-huh. Is it like- We lost, so my family lost Mm -hmm. two very, very close friends, Mm -hmm. father figures in my life in very traumatic ways in 2001 and then 2013. And my father was there for both events, but he was the one that survived. Mm -hmm. And so it was very confusing to work through, one, especially being so young, but both as an adolescent of- they were traumatic for my family, for the people involved. It was a lot to go through. However, my dad survived. So do I get to feel the trauma? You know, mm-hmm. did you feel in- any of that? No, but it's interesting. What I hear in that is a moral question. Cause I, I think about it in a couple of ways. Like one would be, oh, do I get, like, is it fair? Like, do I get to experience mm-hmm. that? Am I like utilizing this in some way that's like not, not right? Mm-hmm. versus maybe the question just being like, are you traumatized by it? Did it scare you? Yeah, like it scared if it's the living like, shit out yeah, of Yeah, if me. it's like, if these mm-hmm. men were important to you and they're really important to your dad and your dad was there and your dad was at mm-hmm. risk and you feel scared about it, I'm not sure what else there is to kind of, I mean, for someone who lost their dad, maybe they're gonna feel more of it. Of course. But why But why? Why does it have to be like in either the or? suffering Olympics. Yeah, can you they- know what I think it is? I think it's more something I've navigated as I've gotten older in this industry, because when you're in some form uh-huh. of limelight, people telling you, well, you don't get to feel this way or, uh-huh. well, you know, maybe that's what it is. And I'm still working through it and feeling, I think sometimes for me, one of the things I struggle with the most and what I always try to do for others is to validate emotions. Uh And like, you are entitled to feel the way that you feel. It doesn't matter what you have going for you. If you feel this way, you are entitled to those emotions. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what it is. Yeah. So I don't know, I was curious if you felt any of that, but no. Yeah, I mean, I think, it doesn't stand out. The Mm -hmm. thing that stands out again, I think to me in this is like, I don't think I, I try not to bother too much with righteousness. Mm-hmm. So the people that are trying to judge who's righteous and who's right. not and make me feel like you can't do that. Like I'm trying to be like a nice, good person to mm-hmm. my kids, to my wife, to the people I work with, to the customers I have. I'm not really like- You don't care about them? Yeah, I mean, who are they to like judge you? No, like, no, no, I know. No, and I get it. No, but I, I can imagine Welcome the pressure. Welcome to my pres- therapy. I can, imagine, I can imagine the pressure yeah, you feel. Yeah, it's confusing. Where it's, yeah, where it's like you're trying to be open and vulnerable and talk about mm-hmm. stuff and uh, and you being open and vulnerable and talking about what's going on in your life is the thing that is offering this like value to other people, mm-hmm. right? And then in doing that, the people are like critiquing you. Like, well, that's not the right way yeah. of doing it. It's like, I, I it, mean- I would just- <laughs> It's very confusing. Let them go. Like I know. <laughs> I've gotten so much better as yeah. I've gotten older. Thank God. But it was something that I was curious hearing your story because it's, I think, something I've personally navigated with. I feel what I would yeah. say is like, I don't, 
maybe one other thing that stands out if I try to learn something new from this conversation, from that question mm-hmm. is, I don't know, like, yeah, in times when I feel hurt, how can I be more empathetic to those people rather than me trying to like go back to the past and be like, hey, can I try to empathize more mm-hmm. with all of the young people that died on that bus and with their moms and with their dads and with their brothers and their sisters? I don't know. I mean, I think I felt a lot in that. I did my best in the moment, but maybe in the, ne- the next thing that happens and the next event I go through, not doesn't have to be traumatic. Can I just be that much more empathetic to what other people are feeling and potentially what their yeah. experiences versus just mine, you totally. know? And it's like, but, but I don't think by me experiencing mine, I'm like hogging. Well, right. There's, yeah. I talk about this a lot when it comes to pregnancy and parenting of like, the suffering Olympics, the example I use is my friend called me the other day and I was like, how are you doing? She's like, I'm so tired. And then she's like, oh wait, I shouldn't tell you I'm tired. You're pregnant. And I was like, I don't hog all of the tiredness. (laughs) You're allowed to be tired. Like, but we've been told by so many people like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're tired. Well, I'm pregnant, Uh that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree that everyone can feel how they want to feel. No one can like hog up all of that emotion. There's Mm -hmm. no limited amount of something that, everyone else is allowed to experience. So you've brought up a lot how you've been interested in this wellness space and how these two traumatic events have definitely led you even more into these interests. But I also want to tie it all back to being raised in a world where like you weren't going to the doctor, you didn't Mm -hmm. have your birth certificate, all of those things. Like how did that play into... A, the company you founded, but B, your overall view of wellness. Because that must be confusing to reconcile with as you get older and you learn new things. And it's Mm -hmm. like, wait a second, do I want to continue life the way I was raised? Or does this aspect of the world interest me more? And how do you navigate your own health? Like what has that unraveling been like? That's a great question. I, I think the fact that I was raised by parents who had these, had a much more alternative view. Alternative just meaning like not what was happening in the mainstream then. Now probably more of it is mainstream, you know, like organic food is Mm -hmm. cool. (laughs) It's a cool (laughs) thing now. Or we were like pescatarians as a kid. So I ate a lot of like a very plant focused diet with some fish. Like that was, you know, so, which is I think very popular now, but that type of, I was raised with parents like that in a, in a pretty traditional setting actually. So I didn't go to school until first grade, but then when I went to school, I went to public school in the nice part of Austin, Texas. So it was like the really nice school district in Austin, Texas with a bunch of, I don't know, like the kids of like professionals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I was raised in like nice suburbs with these really hippie parents. So I was between two worlds. I was between like my parents' values and what we said was normal. And then like just being with normal kids. It wasn't like I was raised like in a commune or cult or something where I was totally separate from them. So I think from that early age, I had to start to realize like, oh, like there's kind of, there's what my parents believe and what I've been raised in. There's what other people believe. And I'm, and I'm kind of sorting it out and trying to find what makes most sense to me. And I think as I've evolved as, you know, as a child, adolescent, young adult, and now like a father of two young kids, I'm still on that journey. You know, like mm-hmm. there's things I was just raised with. Like I was just raised with this belief that like artificial flavors, artificial colors, artificial sweeteners are terrible. They'll, you can feel them in your skin. I remember my mom being like, if you take them, like <laughs> you're going to feel them. They're going to give you cancer. Like I was just like brainwashed that like these mm-hmm. things are so bad. And it's, it's hard for me to shake that. It must you know? be hard to parent. 
No, honestly, because <laughs> yeah. you think like if you're struggling with shaking it and then yeah. your kids are eating these things, like I totally get yeah. because you've yeah. been told this yeah. your entire life, childhood. Yeah. And so then as I just like get older, so I was told here, maybe here's a great example. So I was shared that information very intensely. And then I was also shared information like, hey, you really need to think about protein nutrition because we were choosing this alternative diet mm -hmm. that where I think you do need, need to think more about protein and amino acid nutrition. And I was given things like amino acids as a supplement to support our diet and to support more, acti more activity, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And to think about combining different protein sources. And so now I'm an adult and now I'm starting a company and I'm starting a company within the nutrition space. And I'm trying to figure out like, what do I, you know, what do I do? Like, what are the most important products? Why would you choose to do this product instead of that one? Or are you going to do artificial sweeteners in it? People like colors. People don't mm -hmm. like colors. You know, like, how are you going to make those decisions? And I think I, I think I stuck as much as possible with the things I was raised with and those values while also really looking at the science and really looking at the research and saying like, Hey, what are the, what is the, not just like, what is the most recent cool, hot research study mm -hmm. say, but like, over the last 40 years of researching this topic, what do the smartest people say? And even the smartest people argue and disagree, like where does it kind of shake out? And what's that, what are the elements of what seems to be most true where I'm gonna make informed adult decisions around it with the influence of my parents, those biases, but also like what science says, what would I choose to put into my body? And if I'm gonna devote my life, the next 10, 20, 30 years of my life to this career and developing products and giving them to my kids and telling other people to take them, like what's going to hold up. And so I think it's a mix of, I am, I am bait. I, I started with certain biases and then I like went and looked at what other really smart people have like argued about in this space. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, I try to just like keep, I stick to the stuff that makes sense to me and, and intuitively works. And then I update my thinking as I realize that Hey, you know what? Maybe my parents weren't totally right. You know what? Maybe <laughs> I think we're all going through maybe, that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Maybe they didn't. Maybe, maybe, and they, maybe they weren't totally right because they just had they had their own biases, or maybe like that was old science, like, right? Or maybe or there was old just, research. Now we've done there's updated that, information. Yeah, there's updated information, and we know more now. And mm -hmm. um, so I think it's you know it's I hope it's a healthy adult evolution from childhood values to learning and growing as an adult to to be smart about what I put in my body and what I you know encourage other people to put in their bodies. So you've brought up amino acids, which mm -hmm. is the core focus of your company, Keon. Mm -hmm. What the heck are amino acids for people listening and are like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. <laughs> amino acids are the building blocks of protein. So the, that means the building blocks of protein that you would eat, like whether it's the protein inside of a black bean <laughs> or the protein inside of a piece of chicken, as well as the building blocks of protein in our own bodies. And so lots of people don't realize the protein in our bodies makes up over 50% of our solid mass. So that's like all of your organs mm -hmm. and maybe more obvious superficial things like your skin, your hair, your nails, your eyes, but also more nuanced things like enzymes, hormones, neurotransmitters. So the actual, the chemicals that uh, conduct the messages within your brain and that elicit emotions or, you know, that the create emotions within you are actually made up of these amino acids. So it's, they're a pretty fundamental building block of certain foods that we eat and of our own bodies. And why are they important? Because I know we're mm -hmm. always told like protein is important. And I went through my own journey postpartum of like trying to add more protein into my diet because I had been losing weight and I wanted to make sure that I was putting back on weight healthily. But no matter what health journey you're on, 
I believe from what I've been told, protein is important for everyone. Why mm -hmm. are specifically amino acids important for us? So the reason why protein and amino, well, actually I'll make one further note. So in protein, mm -hmm. there are 20 amino acids. Okay. I promise. I'll try to keep this as simple as possible, right? Yeah, I was right? going to say, if you get too scientific, my yeah. pregnant brain is- yeah. <laughs> In protein, proteins that are like in the foods we eat okay. typically, and in our bodies, there's 20 amino acids that, that build up the proteins. So imagine there's just like these 20 little different unique parts. Mm -hmm. Nine of those are essential. They're essential because your body can't make them. Okay. Your body can, when I say make, like your body can convert, your body's like a factory in some ways. It can convert certain molecules into other molecules. It can convert uh, things that you eat in one form and turn it into another thing. Nine of the essential amino, nine of the amino acids are essential because your body can't make them. So you, you have to eat them. You have to Got consume it. them. And the reason why not only you have to consume them, but you want to consume them is because of simply the way that protein works in our body. So the role of carbohydrates and fat, their primary role is to be converted into energy that you can burn. So if you eat rice or you eat a teaspoon of olive oil, the primary role of that is actually for your body to convert it into ATP, which is like your body's internal fuel source and to use it to move, to get up and walk, but even to do a lot of other functions of your body, keep your lungs breathing. Like your body needs all this constant energy just to simply mm -hmm. survive. So that's the primary role of carbs and fat. That's not the primary role of protein. Protein can be used for that, but that's not really why you eat protein. The reason why you eat protein is going back to how I said most of your body is made up of, mm -hmm. made up of proteins. Well, the way that you're, the way that the proteins in your body function is that they have to be, there's something called turnover. It's almost like recycling. Okay. So like the proteins in your body, whether it's your skin or your liver or your kidneys, they have a certain half-life. They only exist for so long and then they get broken down into the individual amino acids. Imagine like you have a complete protein and then it gets broken down into these 20 individual amino acids. And some of those amino acids get reused to rebuild the protein and some don't, you just pee them out. Okay. And the reason for that is because you're trying to like basically refresh proteins. You know, like you've heard, I'm trying to keep things like simple. So it's no, not gonna be like perfect science, but like you've heard like all the cells in your body are constantly being rebuilt. You're not the same person you were 20 years yeah. ago. So think about in terms of like protein, that literally the proteins in your body are being broken down into these individual amino acids. Some get reused, some don't. So the reason why you have to eat essential amino acids within protein or as you can supplement with them is because literally you can't survive without them. Your liver has to be rebuilt by eating essential amino acids in the form of protein in your diet your brain, your neurotransmitters will not exist unless you eat these proteins and these essential amino acids within them. And so you can't make that up with eating carbs. You can't make mm -hmm. that up with eating fat. It's truly an essential nutrient that helps rebuild all of your organs, your skin, your hair, your eyes, your nails, your neurotransmitters, your hormones, your enzymes, all of these things, you, you have to eat them as protein or as essential amino acids to help them rebuild. So they're like the building blocks that you have to consume. It's not just the energy that you consume from carbs or fat. And I think the biggest maybe issue over the last few years is that there's so much emphasis around carbs and fat mm -hmm. because there's kind of this, I mean, quite simple. I think it's really an obsession over like body composition and weight loss, like the keto thing. It's like- yep. People just, they wanna look a certain way. They think the weight is what matters most, like losing this weight, et cetera. And I think the, the kind of the greatest shame in that is the 
lack of attention on protein and essential amino acids because if you're cutting calories or you're only focusing on the certain food group, and in that way, if you ignore protein, you're going to have major health issues. Not to mention that if you eat more protein, you eat more essential amino acids, they increase your metabolism, they help you maintain lean muscle. They're actually like, they're the thing that'll actually help with body right. composition more than anything else. I mean, I notice even just mentally, whether it be brain fog or focus, like if I don't have enough protein, my brain does not function well personally. Like I very much notice that it is clear. I actually was thinking about it on our, my walk here. I was listening to a separate show, had nothing to do with this conversation, but it had me reflecting on my breakfast every morning. And I was like, I need to get more protein in first thing in the morning. And which is why Keon is also an amazing option. So we've talked about amino acids. Mm -hmm. How did your love or realization for how amazing amino acids are turn into what Keon is today? And what offerings are there within Keon for people who are listening and like, should I got to add more of this to my diet? So I think it really came from the kind of fundamental thinking I was describing earlier around, hey, what, what do I value? What do I like? What are the people closest to me and in, in their, mm -hmm. closest to me in my life value and care about in terms of nutrition? And what is most soundly supported by research. And not like I'm some kind of like research. Well, I am kind of a research junkie. I love. <laughs> I, I'm not a research. Actually, I, I love, I love, I love understanding more about life and about my body and about mm -hmm. nutrition and, and you know, what, what's healthy, but really just looking at like, Hey, what are the things if you're going to build a company and you're going to focus on making a product, what are the things that are going to like last for a long time, like be meaningful that someone would actually really want to continue to buy and not something that's like, Hey, you should get this cool new trick or this cool new thing. And it's not going to be, but, but people are going to forget about it mm -hmm. in six months, in a year. And like, it's not going to continue to provide value. And so I think at the most fundamental level, essential amino acids, what became Keon Aminos, became such a fundamental piece of, of what the business is, is because they're the essential component of protein. And so when you consume them, and this would not be to replace a whole food protein diet, but like you said, mm -hmm. you should probably be eating more. Like honestly, yes. like, 30 grams of protein first thing mm -hmm. in the morning would ideally be great for you. And outside of the context of pregnancy, just like in general talking about protein yeah. nutrition, when you consume essential amino acids, they're anywhere from two to five times as impactful as a whole food protein source because, and they're, they're, they're fermented from plant sources. So it's, it's coming from, from plants, but it's mm -hmm. not like existing as, you know, a piece of existing like as oatmeal, yeah. right? Because it's more bioavailable and because the concentration of these essential amino acids, the thing that actually helps stimulate the new proteins in your body is in higher concentration and more bioavailable. So for many people who are either choosing to have a plant-based diet where it is harder to get those higher concentrations of essential amino acids for people that are trying to lose weight and want to do it sustainably, not just like, mm -hmm. they want to do it through like sustainably building and maintaining lean muscle and walking and some resistance training. Like essential amino acids are the, the key nutritional component of that. For people that are aging, because as you get older, this is for men and women, even more significant for women due to menopause, your ability to stimulate new protein synthesis goes down dramatically. Your ability to break down the protein and stimulate new protein synthesis goes down. So you start to lose muscle mass and it becomes easier to gain fat and more difficult to maintain muscle, which is critical for maintaining healthy activity levels and right. just being healthy as you age. Essential amino acids can start to become three, four, five times as impactful as protein 
in those older age mm-hmm. groups. For anyone who's, you know, recovering from some kind of injury, it's just this, it's a supplement that makes sense for almost everyone, except for people that are like, have the most dialed in high protein diet and they're between the ages of 20 and 35 right. and they exercise like, and even for them, it's great for exercise performance, but it's just, it, it makes a lot of sense for almost everyone. And you know, and as a supplement to that, we have a whey protein isolate, which is mm-hmm. a super clean, like delicious, more whole food protein source. So really just focusing on products that that make sense to add to your diet every single day because they really will help you, you know, potentially live longer, stay more active, be healthier, be happier, impact your mood. Like not some like goobble gobble made up new Right, or this supplement. is gonna fix everything. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna fix everything. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's something that's like you add this and it really is just gonna continue to provide, it's gonna help you to have more energy today. It's gonna help you to be more fit today. It's gonna help you live longer. And and it's real. It's mm-hmm. like, a, it's got real research behind it, backing it up. We've talked a lot about mental health throughout the episode, but I talk mm-hmm. about it a ton on my show. I'm curious do these amino acids, is there a way that they can help influence mental health? Like, is there a tie there? Yeah. So I think just going to what you just said, there's a lot of different research specifically around the impact of amino acid consumption on certain types of mood. I think that for most people, ensuring that you're getting enough essential amino acids first thing in the morning, Mm -hmm. and that can be through just a super healthy diet if you eat you know 30 grams of protein or through some combination of protein and supplementing with some free form essential amino acids like keanaminos you ensure that your body has sufficient amino acids to support the creation of new neurotransmitters which overall is going to create a more regulated mood that said if you kind of deprive yourself of protein and deprive yourself of essential amino acids your body will do what it needs to do to make sure that you have enough uh, neurotransmitters. Similarly, your body will make sure that it has enough to like rebuild your heart. Like if I just stop eating all essential amino acids and protein today, my heart's not just gonna be like, oh, it can stop rebuilding itself. (laughs) What it does though, is it breaks down the muscle in your body. Okay. So if you don't consume enough protein and the essential amino acids within protein, your body will basically use muscle, which is the reservoir of amino acids. It'll break it down to supply those amino acids to become neurotransmitters, to support heart health, et cetera. So if you just give your body what it needs, like it, it just wants these essential amino mm-hmm. acids, right? To help, to help rebuild all the proteins in your body, to help sustain your lean muscle, to help support neurotransmitter health. If you put your body under the stress of depriving it of that, it will figure out what it needs to do it'll to take cope. for something else. Yeah, but it'll basically break down your muscle to do it. And it's not an optimal um, way of maintaining whole body protein synthesis and whole body mood regulation. And we've talked now about you founding Keon and I've mentioned that you have kids, but for mm-hmm. anyone who's listening, they may not know that you have children. We actually have her, his daughter in studio with us, which is so fun because this is the first time anyone's brought their kid to an interview. And I love this because one day I dream of Liam being old enough to sit here and not try to play with every freaking wire in here. <laughs> but I know personally in building my own brand, there's always a voice in the back of my head of like, well, how am I going to explain this to my children or are they going to be proud of what I'm doing or how is this going to impact them? And simultaneously trying to navigate, how can I be as present as possible as a parent and still put time into growing something that I'm so passionate about? As a working dad, what do you feel 
the hardest component has been in navigating mm. all of that? Well, I think the I think like the the guiding approach that helps me is I have like my values. My values are family, health, and then growth. And I would put growth within the category of like business. Mm -hmm. And I think just like making family first is really, it just prioritizes everything. But apart from that, when if I get into like what's been hardest, I think that I think the other kind of guiding principle I have is people, just like to be really people focused. So when I'm interacting with my children or I'm interacting with my wife or I'm interacting with employees and colleagues, or I'm thinking about products at Keon, I'm trying to always think about the people and what they're feeling and what they're needing and what we're trying to create versus like ideas. And I think I found as being someone who's very, I'm just a very, naturally, I'm a super entrepreneurial kind of manic. Okay. I just want to create and make and do things. <laughs> and like, I originally was wired to not be as empathetic as I think I've trained myself to become. And so I think the greatest challenge is like, I just get like not getting sucked into my ideas. I have ideas around like what my family could do. Or I have ideas mm -hmm. around what the business could do. I have ideas around what this great, cool new thing would be. And if I just stay focused on the people, then the problems solve themselves. Like, do these people really want this cool, new, awesome, exciting product I think that they want? Or is that just like to entertain Angelo? Do like, what is actually going to help my colleagues and the employees that work for Keon be healthiest and happiest and most sustainable over time. And similar with like my kids, like what do they really want from me? Like I used to think we need to plan all these awesome trips. And like I did, I brought my daughter to New York cause she's been really wanting to come. Like last week I just did a staycation cause really all my kids want is me just to like- Hang out with them. Hang out with them. Mm -hmm. Like I think I need to do all these projects with my daughter. And she's like, I just want to hang out in my room and talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think the greatest challenge is like choosing ideas over people. And if I just focus on people, then it gets pretty simple pretty quickly. It is interesting. I think we have all these big ideas about what we should be doing, whether it's what we've created in our own mind or we've seen on social media and compare and all of that. When in reality, our kids just want us to be present. And I even talk about this with my husband all the time of when we are with our son leaving work as much as we can in the other room mm -hmm. because I want to be present in that room with him mentally and physically. I'm curious just because I honestly don't have a lot of male guests on here. As a working dad, do you have conversations with other males in your life around this topic often? Because I thought about this this morning mm. where I'm constantly talking to my girlfriends about how we're navigating, balancing this all and childcare and what it looks like and how we're feeling. And it had me thinking like, do working dads talk about this? And it can be, the answer mm -hmm. can be no. That's, that's a great- That's kind of what I think the answer uh -huh. is if we're being honest, just based on like what I observe my husband and his friends discuss. Is it something that's talked about often? That's a really great question. Um, I'm not trying to play to the, I'm not trying to play to you as the audience. <laughs> You're like, yes, we talk about it every week I don't, in our therapy. I, I'm realizing like, gosh, I think I do. Well, I mean, I think like the other, like the conflict, if there's a conflict that I acknowledge within myself, it's the weirdness around my opportunity to build a company mm -hmm. and to be successful is like, this is like my, this is the time to do that. I'm 39. Right. My kids are like 10 and eight. And so there's like this weird thing where, now's my time and I want to be able to have money to like 
provide good of course housing and education and all these things for them but it's also like whenever i work i don't get to be with them mm-hmm. so it's like i want to be like i want to spend time with them now because like this is the sweet spot you know that and yep. that's why I brought my daughter on this trip. It's like, this is the, I don't want to be away from her for two days. And mm-hmm. I want to have, is there some way it can become like a more- uh, A bonding experience. A bonding well, experience. Yeah. yeah. Like some, you know, some something in between, like, yeah, some way in which, I don't know. Yeah. It's some bonding experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think like, I feel that conflict, not not like a mom does. Like, I feel like a mom has this conflict around, <laughs> I feel like it's the way a dad would feel. Mom has this conflict or this is listening to my wife yeah. and her experience of, of doing this around like trying to be like a good mom and trying to make sure that like the kids are cared for in the right way, where it's like, I don't want to miss out on the fun with them. Mm-hmm. Like I I want like the fun and the play and this excitement and period where they're even like interested in me. There's so many memes about this. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. So it's, yes, yeah, so maybe, I, yeah. So yeah, it feels like this dad thing where it's like, I don't want to miss out on the fun period and the time with them right now. And so like, that's my conflict. But if I take that to conversation with, with working dads, no. It's mostly mm-hmm. about like, What's the cool new business thing that you're doing? And what's the exciting thing that's up? And then it's kind of like, what I would say is like all my friends are entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I don't really have like many, like I don't really have like professional services. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a successful, I want to say young adult. I'm I'm a successful (laughs) adult, middle age. I guess I'm like in between. And so it's like the kind of people I might be friends with and living in Boulder, Colorado would be like, you know, engineers or professional services mm-hmm. people. And it's like, it's all entrepreneurs. So it's all, like, my close friends are all people that have companies similar to mine, or maybe they're maybe they're a health influencer or mm-hmm. things like that. And I think all of them, they have a certain extra level of flexibility to kind of like do what they yeah. want to do, like bring their kid on a trip, et cetera. And so they're getting that advantage. So there is kind of a connection around that. But I would say overall, like getting back to your question, like maybe you're telling them what cool, new, exciting thing your kid's doing but no, you're not, you're not like, you're not struggling with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause I asked my husband this this morning, cause I was thinking about it mm-hmm. and his response was eye opening. And I'm curious if it'll continue to shift as our generation ages a bit, but he, his response was honestly, no, we don't talk about it much. And maybe that's because every dad I'm friends with works. So it's not a conversation with some and not mm-hmm. with, it's, it's uh-huh. a assumption. Uh-huh. And I think we're entering this stage now where either both parents are starting to work or there are relationships, and this is assuming a heterosexual relationship, but there are some relationships where the dad is now staying home or the dad is simply way more involved than we've seen in the past of maybe how we were raised or generations mm-hmm. before us. So I do think- it'll start to be more of a conversation. And quite honestly, I will challenge you as I did my husband. I think it should be a conversation because at the end of the day, I think that it shows or reemphasizes a male taking on more of the weight around childcare and responsibility because it is something to mentally navigate. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I watch my husband navigate with it every single day. He's in the planning. He's in the group chat with our sitter. He's doing it all. So I'm like, why are you not talking about this with your friends? Like, mm-hmm. I know that it's mentally tasking. I experience it. Mm-hmm. You should. So I was just curious. It's a good question. It's a good prompt. And I will, 
Oh, I'm curious to talk about it with my wife now. Go After this home, interview, talk like, about it with your wife. And she hears this and sees what she thinks yeah. about well, what you know, I said. It's like this TikTok <laughs> trend where all these people are doing like beige flags of their husband. And what I've learned is that majority of these males from what I'm seeing online are similar of they will be in conversation with someone and the guy will be like, oh yeah, I broke up with my girlfriend or, oh, I got a new job. And no one's asking these follow-up questions. Like my husband will come home and tell me something that happened. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, well, what are they doing? What happened? What's the next thing? He's like, well, I didn't ask. I'm like, oh my God. So I challenge mm -hmm. male listeners out there who are also working dads to have the conversations with your fellow working dads because I think the more we can talk about the like co-ownership of labor, the less will naturally fall on the female. Not to put that on you, but- <laughs> I'm comfortable with being put on me. It's, it's a good reflection for me. Well, thank you so much for coming here. I feel like I learned a lot and I think my listeners will as well. For everyone who wants to support you and wants more of you and is now like, I need to get some amino acids in my life, where can they best support you? Uh, it's really just going to getkeon.com, G-E-T. Oh, you know what? Yeah. We're or, gonna do getkeon.com slash Cameron. All right. Because we it. do have a discount for 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. That's it then. Okay. Yeah, and just like follow Keon. Really, I pour all of my professional public yeah. energies into that. And that's, well, that, that's where to find more. Well, I love having people like you on here. And I rarely do honestly have founders on here. But- I think it's so important to hear more about the backstory of why, because there are a lot of products in the industry nowadays, and I love a ton. I use a ton, Keon being one of them, but I think there's always a nice extra step to learn about the founder or what went into building this company and the why to make you more interested as a consumer in trying, but then also feeling good about the product you're putting in your body. So thank you very much. I love that. And hopefully, you know, even if just one thing we talked about today validates something else someone's felt at some point in Absolutely. life or encourages them to do something that's one step positive, then good. <laughs> it's a win. It's a win. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. Please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at, at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.